Welcome to the Renewing Our City podcast, equipping you to reach your world. And now your host, Matt Shaw. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Renewing Our City podcast, where our goal is to help you reach your world. Hey, sitting down in front of a mic and letting you in on a conversation I've had with pastors, church planners, missionaries, and creative Christian people from around the world that help us fulfill the Great Commission, well, it's amazing. Today, my guest is Jonathan Hendricks. He's a pastor and church planner in Albany, New York. It's one of the least church cities in the United States. And I had a blast sitting down with John to hear his heart for the city after he moved out from a church in the suburbs into the city of Albany. Thanks for listening. You're going to love this show. Here's my conversation with Jonathan Hendrick. Hey, welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, I'm actually meeting super early with uh, one of my buddies, somebody I've really looked up to, wanted to interview Jonathan Hendricks. And Jonathan, uh, actually his family is uh, from our hometown, but he's a church planner in Albany, New York. And uh, we're going to be talking today with him about what he's doing as a church planner, some of his struggles, some of his um, wins, some different strategies he's had planting a church and just uh, Christian life in general. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hey. And uh, can I call you John? I don't... Sure. It's always Jonathan. I don't know. John, Jonathan. You don't have an H in your name, so J-O-N. Not Johnny. Not Johnny? Is that what you used to be called? No, I don't think anyone's ever called me that. You've always been Jonathan? A lot of people call me about my last name, just Hendrick. Just Hendrick. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you just went to an IndyCar race yesterday. You want to start out the show just telling how big of a, a, a race car fan you are? and I, 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 I do love IndyCar. Yeah, I grew up in Indiana till I was in fifth grade. And that's what you do in Indiana, I guess, is go see fast cars drive around a track. So we'd go every year to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to watch Carburation Day. It was our big day because my dad was a pastor. And so we couldn't actually go to the race on Sunday, but we would go to the practice days that weren't on Sundays. But um, one of my first years ever going, um, the rookie driver of the year was a guy named Michael Andretti. And I thought he was cool since he was the youngest driver in the field and I was a kid. And so I kind of latched onto him as my driver. And he turned out to be one of the most winning drivers in IndyCar history. And now his son, Marco, races. And um, I just, I, I love it. It's, Dude, it's that's my awesome. sport. So, the, so uh, John's in town visiting his family, and I thought I would uh, interview him for this podcast because he's going to add so much value to your life. And let's let's just start out a little bit, just talking about what you do. I know, I know that, but the audience doesn't necessarily know who you are. What's your faith background? Uh, it's, you know, you grew up as a pastor's kid, and how do you? How what's your track to to get to be a church planter? Sure. So the basic story is, I grew up um, as a pastor's kid. Grew up in church. Um, I graduated from a college in Illinois, Lincoln Christian University, um, back in 2002, and I moved out to um, a suburb of Albany and became the youth minister at a church in the suburbs, kind of a medium-sized church out there, and uh, lived in the suburbs called Gilderland, and uh, lived in Gilderland, worked in Gilderland, everything was going great. And then I got uh, married, and my wife uh, was finishing up her uh, master's degree at the University of Albany, and uh, then um, 
uh, she ended up teaching at the University of Albany for a little while. And that was big for us because at that point in my life, uh, working at a church, a youth minister at a church, my whole social circle was involved in church. And so all my friends were youth sponsors or other staff members at the church. Um, and that's just kind of who I hung out with was other Christians. Um, but then with Ashley uh, going to U Albany, we all of a sudden had this whole new social circle of uh, friends that were very much non-church people. And they all lived down in the city of Albany. And so we started to get to be more and more and more friends with them. And we started spending more time, uh, not in the suburbs, but actually in, in the city uh, of Albany. And so when we uh, came time to buy our house uh, almost eight years ago now, uh, we decided that we wanted to live in the city of Albany because we loved the city. That's where the best food was. That's where the best things to do were. And that's where a lot of our friends lived. Um, but when we uh, got there, uh, I don't know if we we didn't necessarily move there thinking that that would help our friends come to know Jesus, although that's always a hope somewhere in the line. Um, but we, most of our friends weren't Christians. Most of our neighbors weren't Christians. And uh, in general, Albany is just an incredibly unchurched area. So uh, mm-hmm. Barna says we're the uh, least churched uh, area, the least Bible-minded area in the whole country. So just most people have kind of walked away from church at some point or another. Uh, we were just getting to know our neighbors and having fun. And we would invite our friends to come to church with us. And uh, we were about 25 minutes away. That was where our church was uh, from where we lived. And it became pretty clear that most of our friends were not already going to church. Um, Most of them were not interested in leaving the city of Albany on a Sunday morning and driving out to the suburbs to go to a church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they had already kind of walked out on some of the older mainline churches that were in the area. So we thought if we ever want our friends and neighbors to go to church, and we really did, then we would need a new kind of a church that was in walking distance of our friend's house. And so uh, we started with eight people in my living room, uh, just kind of praying about what that would look like. And at that point, I don't even know if we thought that it would be a church. We thought maybe it would be just a different kind of a community group or small group or house church or um, or we. I don't think we even really knew what it was going to be. But it grew, and uh, one of the first things we decided was that to do what we needed to do, we didn't need a a building, we didn't need an organization, we just needed to all agree as a group of people that we were going to try to love Jesus, we were all going to love each other, and we were going to love the world, and we would invite other people to do that with us. And so it grew, and after a couple months, we outgrew my living room, and then we started meeting in a hallway at a local college, um, Sage College, and the adults would meet in a hallway, and the kids would meet in one of the classrooms, because that's all we could afford was to rent one classroom, so they let us meet with the adults in the hallway. And we uh, met there once a month uh, for a while, and then we hooked up with a church planning organization called Stadia Church Planning, and they helped us kind of get going. And then uh, almost two and a half years ago now, we started doing weekly services in an Elks Lodge, um, but always with that same deal of just trying to be a church that our friends and neighbors would actually want to go to. Uh, And also, I think kind of a important thing, something that kind of we decided from the beginning with those eight people and really just even Ashley and I living in our in our street, we kind of had this idea that uh, the street we live on is Fleetwood Avenue, that if we live on Fleetwood Avenue for a year, then Fleetwood Avenue should look a little bit different because of how Ashley and I are living and because of hmm. just the, the joy and hope and neighborliness and you know all that kind of stuff that we're bringing along, it should look a little bit better. And that's kind of the hope with it. And when we've got eight people together, then now we have eight people in our neighborhood that are all kind of working together. And so uh, our whole neighborhood should look a little bit different because of how those eight people are living. Um, and now two and a half years in that there's you know, 95, 100 people doing it, uh, our hope is that just our, our neighborhood and our whole city just keeps looking better and better and better because of how we are living our lives. Uh, and so it's not that's you know, awesome. about what we're doing on Sunday mornings, but it's what, what we're doing throughout the rest of the time. 
Man, what a great story. I, th- I think it's so cool to hear. Uh, and even uh, I remember right when you were getting ready to start weekend services, we met probably two or three years ago where God was really uh, giving you this vision. You're saying, how am I going to make this happen? And uh, I'm pretty sure you were already living in Albany then, but really trying to work with uh, Stadia, starting the church, having them help you. And uh, I think that's so awesome, your vision for the city. And you know, one, one thing I as uh, telling people, your your story is just like how unchurched Albany is. I think most people feel like Seattle, San Francisco, New York City would be much more unreached, uh, which they are. And they definitely uh, need you know church planners. They need uh, Christians in those areas. But how is Albany so unchurched? It, it, I mean, I don't know that much about Albany. I've never been there, but... Talk to me about how you really under, understood that and, and really found out, um, you know, how unchurched it is and the need. Yeah, I mean, I think we found out about it just by, I guess, talking to our friends and neighbors and realizing that most of them, at some point in their life, had someone who walked away from church. And so it might have been their grandparents who had just kind of had enough for it, didn't see relevancy for it in their life anymore, or it might have been their parents, or it might have been them, um, but just, we just kind of kept hearing that story that, you know, I, I grew up in church, my dad's a pastor, and so it's easy for me to talk about church, so that's like a regular conversation question, yeah. it's like, you know, they find out what I do, and I was like, oh, did you grow up in church, did you ever go to church, you know, it's an amazing kind of like non-pushy question, really, most people have no problem telling you whether they have like a church experience in their life, Yeah. but most people when they brought up the church experience, it was usually kind of far off. Like it wasn't something that was like top of mind to them. And it was something that they had kind of left. Hmm. And it's kind of, we, um, we meet in, a, in an Elks Lodge, which is kind of funny. Cause that's kind of how I often like described how most people thought about church, uh, in, in Albany. So, um, I don't know, this isn't like a slam against the Elks club, but in general, like a lot of people aren't going to Elks clubs anymore. And I think most people like are just kind of like ambivalent about something like an Elks club. You know, it's like, yeah, that's, they don't really know what they do in there. They don't really know what it's about, but there's really nothing that like an Elks Lodge could put on a sign or a poster or something like that. that would all of a sudden make people be like, wow, I'm going to go check out what's going on in the Elks Lodge this week. It's, it's just, yeah. it just kind of exists and it's fine that some people do it, but there's really nothing that would ever make them want to do it. I think that's how most people feel about church in Albany is that it, it's fine. They knew that their grandma used to do it and then they kind of walked away for whatever reason, mm. but it, it just has no relevant appeal to them at all. It's not that they're angry at church. It's not that they're, you know, had a terrible experience necessarily. They just, you know, yeah, that's something that people used to do and they don't do it anymore. Yeah, just un, un, unreligious or un, unchristian where they're just not interested in it. And I think a lot of times you think of people that are in unreached areas are um, hostile or they're, they're, you know, they've left the faith and they're mad about it. It just sounds like when you explain that is it's just kind of we don't do church. That's not part of culture anymore. It's totally out of out of relevance. It doesn't matter. Um, and uh, I, I think that's pretty interesting because I think a lot of places are, you know, becoming more like that where as uh, Christianity and, and especially mainline denominations are becoming less and less, uh, it, it can it can leave our culture. I, I heard a quote yesterday, you know, what movie was it? The movie Concussion had Will Smith in it and uh, came out last year. But he, they had one great quote, in it, and it was pretty much like they're trying to take on the NFL with these different legal claims with uh, athletes getting concussions. And they, they said, you know, 
these people took Sunday. That was the day that was reserved for the church, and they own a day of the week on Sunday. And it's like the church used to own Sunday. It used to own Wednesday nights. It used to own Sunday nights and all that type of stuff. But today it's just not as much as part of our culture. Kids' sports come before that. Other activities come before that. And I think that's just in general where we're so much more transient. People are constantly, they're not going to an Elks club. They're not going to a church for their community with social media, with traveling. They're just kind of not as interested in that type of stuff. So once they see a young, hip, cool pastor and his wife move into town and and you you have this large vision, how, how has that given you a platform to reach your community? What's some of the stuff you've been doing to reach your community? Yeah, I mean... I mean, you're joking with like young, young and hip, but it's, it makes I, a difference, though. Well, sometimes, but I, I don't know if it if it really does, though. Like, I, mean, I think people are. I'm 36. I don't, not nearly as young and cool as I used to be. I don't know if I ever was cool, but people are surprised when they find out that I'm a pastor. Yeah. Because uh, I think they still think of when they think of church, they have a certain image. When they think of a pastor, they have a certain image. But I don't think that most of my friends or neighbors really care about any cool factor stuff when it comes to church. Really? You know, again, I mean, it's kind of back to the Elks Club analogy. You know, like if I was trying to get them to come to an Elks Lodge event, you know, if I said that, oh, there's going to be really great food or really great coffee or really great children's program, whatever, you know, they just, they're really not all that interested because they just, I'm not an elk. I don't, I'm not interested in what goes on there. And what's been keeping me away is not like the programming. And I think the same is true with most of my friends and neighbors that we do do, you know, modern music and we have good coffee and all that kind of stuff at our church. But I, I think that helps people once they finally get through the door, it helps them realize, you know, oh, this is accessible and this feels like something that, you know, feels relatable to my normal life. So I think people appreciate it once they finally get there. But I don't think that we have, you know, our, our music or our children's programming or food or, you know, any of that kind of modern frills. I don't think that helps at all of helping our friends come for the very first time. Uh, I think all of that has to be through relationship. Uh, and again, I think, you know, the analogy kind of holds up in that. If like I, you know, pick it up, another group, you know, some library function or something like that. You know, my mom's a librarian, so I love librarians. But most, you know, if I saw a poster for a library thing, I probably wouldn't go, even if it was like the coolest library thing ever. If it's just a random poster or I got a postcard in the mail or something like that, there's, you know, it's pretty likely that I'm not going to go. But if I have a friend or a neighbor who I really trust and we're hanging out one night and they say, hey, I heard about this thing at the library and I'm going and my kids are going and we, we're really looking forward to it. We'd love for you guys to come with us. I'd probably go just because my friends invited me. Uh, and I think that's been you know, our strategy from the beginning of trying to get people into, you know, to come check out our church is it's us building relationships with our neighbors. Uh, and then when, when we you know, can put that invitation out over and over and over and over again, and you know, we've been inviting some of our friends now for two and a half years, and some of them have come and some of them haven't come yet. But I think that relational invitation is what helps people finally kind of cross the door of checking out what a Sunday morning service is like. Yeah, that's interesting because I think 
even where I'm at, um, you can be so focused where cool church or attractional events or great kids program or free food, whatever whatever your attraction is, really does attract other people that have a faith background or are Christians where, hey, I'm trying to reach out to these people who already are, are there or have been there in the past. Sure. Or when you're reaching people that are, are unchurched or de-churched or uh, used to be church, they're not they're not interested in the same thing. So you're you're going. None of that stuff works. I have no interest in going to church, or why would I go to this kids kids thing or whatever? And so right. how, how have you got over the barrier of that? Because I think a lot of our church marketing and advertising and and strategy has been about put on a great service, have these great programs, have kids safety, and have cool coffee and uh, you know relevant music that will bring people and. I don't know if that's working or not everywhere, but it seems like that's not working for you. How, how do you actually build those relationships to get people to come and be part of your faith community? Uh, I mean, the way that we build relationships is one, we just try to be genuine friends to people and genuine neighbors, you know, and so we just try to get to know our neighbors and, you know, try to invite people over for dinner as much as we can, and have game nights and have block parties and just, I don't know, just have friends and have neighbors, you know, and just, you know, I, I think it's pretty simple that way. Um, but then we also try to do other things to just try to make our neighborhood into a better place. And so we do, we have an initiative called Love Albany, which is trying to make Albany a more uh, loving and neighborly and just fun place. So we host community movie nights and concerts, and we partner with some big street fairs and things like that to make things better. And that helps get our name out there a little bit. Um, but I think that that helps people know that our name of our church. And so, I mean, in two and a half years, we've built a good reputation. So a lot of people know the name Christchurch Albany in our area yeah. a lot more. A lot of people associate Christchurch Albany with something positive. So like, oh, that's that church that does the movie nights. Oh, that's that church that helps out with that concert I went to. You know, oh, I jumped in their bounce house at the street fair. Or, you know, oh, my neighbor borrowed their grill for the block party that they use or something mm-hmm. like that. So I think it's helped build a positive uh, mode uh, with us. But still, I mean, they're they're not in the mindset of church. And so I think that's like all those relationship building things are a super small start of a bridge uh, towards them eventually coming to know Jesus. And I think it just, you know, for some of our friends, I don't know, I mean, it might take years, um, maybe decades, I don't know, uh, of us just like loving them and just being there for them and, you know, us praying for them and, you know, looking for times where we can, you know, speak little things to them. Uh, and I don't, it's, I don't it, it's a, it's a slow process. Every once in a while, it's really fast and that's really fun. There's, we've had stories over the last two and a half years where we meet someone at a coffee shop and we start to talk to them and get to know them. And there's a guy, Austin, we got to know him at a coffee shop and uh, within like a couple of weeks, he came to church and then like a couple months later, he became a member and then he got baptized and like the whole thing happened wow. in like six months. I'm like, that's super cool. Um, but that's not our norm. Um, most of it is, you know, some of our longest lasting friends, you know, it was, you know, almost eight years before they wow. ever came to one of our church services. And, you know, and then it's kind of recently that they've like officially started following Jesus and it, it took time, you know, and I think it was important for, for them. And it's just important all throughout for them to know that we genuinely love them as friends. And we weren't like becoming their friends so that they would come to church someday. You know, it wasn't a bait and switch. We just, we genuinely liked eating dinner with them. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I think they needed to know that like 
this wasn't like a sales tactic or it wasn't something like we like felt like we had to do like that they needed to know that we genuinely love church and we genuinely love Jesus and the more that they saw that while well, that really is a, a big shaping part of of our friends lives that we love then that made them want to you know just because if you're really friends with someone you want to get to know the things that they're really passionate about yeah. even if you think it's cuckoo and you know, so I think we've had definitely a lot of friends that have come alongside and checked out what we do, even though they, they think it's crazy, you know, that, that we believe these things and that we're a part of these things. Um, but because they love us and we've built a relationship with them, they eventually come and check it out. And then I don't the, That's awesome. You know, Holy Spirit's got to do his thing because I it, think taking that long term strategy, man, it, it is it's it's difficult because uh, uh I, th- I think we can uh, just think, you know, we, we talked about this morning where you just state the gospel to somebody or you want them to go all the way like quickly and, and come and totally change the way they live, the way they act, like on the first time they hear the message. And I, I, I totally believe like where you might have just been going, where the Holy Spirit can woo them and totally transform their life. And we believe that can happen. But when you're in a context like you are, it seems like you really have to put a lot of pre- pre-evangelism, pre-work, and to, to, to really build that relationship and gain trust before they ever hear your message. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people might have a problem with that, where you're serving, it, you know, you're doing movie nights, you're hosting concerts, and the goal is not to necessarily have an evangelist come speak or preach. I'm assuming all the bands aren't Christian bands playing K-Love music, you know, Christian rock bands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's loving your community, it's partnering with your community, I've noticed a lot of people that really struggle with that, and they say, well, that's just that's not what Christianity is about. That's you, If you're not sharing the gospel, if you're not doing those things, that's not church. That's not God's work. What, how would you respond to those type of people? I don't know. I mean, I, I get it, and I've probably been there at some points in my life, but I think at least what I've learned in my life, I think that's kind of like short-sighting what God can do. I mean, I think we see that, you know what, Roman says is that you mean you find God in kind of the fabric of everything, and I think a lot of us have experienced that before. Where we find God so present in things that are not quote unquote Christian. So I remember in the movie um, March of the Penguins came out, and um, uh, this movie talked about these penguins like marching through Antarctica, and Morgan Freeman was like commentating for it. It wasn't you know a Christian movie at all, but I remember like just like being on my knees at the end of that movie. I was just like so in awe of this God that would create these penguins that could walk, you know, it was just, you know, so amazing. And I, I've had lots of experiences in my life like that where I've seen like a piece of art or where I've seen a piece of music or where I've been having a conversation with someone that like wasn't a quote unquote Christian conversation, but it was like so clear that God was in that. Uh, and I think that we see that a lot. I mean, when we show movies, we don't show like, you know, really negative, you know, terrible movies yeah, or something like yeah. that, you know. But I think we, we show a lot of movies that there's like a gospel message in there and there's things in there. And I think that's that's a big thing to people when you can like show them that God is already working in your life um, and God is already speaking to you and God is already doing things. And us just kind of, I don't know, be more of the tour guides of, you know, pointing out, hey, here's here's what I think the Spirit's doing. Here's what I think God's doing. Here's what I think God might be saying to you, uh, and to let them know where they're already seeing truth, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And and I, I mean, doing the hard work of serving people, no strings attached, is hard because 
you know the end game. I, hey, I want to share the gospel because that is the hope of the world. You, if we just serve people and we just give them food or, or do stuff without giving them the message of eternal life, we know that's short-sighted. That's not going to ever help them in the long run, especially right. eternally, you know, sure. where they don't know Jesus. And, and I love it because it seems like you are focusing so much more on see my life like i love church i love jesus and this is a part of my life and i want to share that with you rather than a sales strategy or a pitch or i'm doing this on almost on purpose i'm doing it more just this is who i am and this is what we do so you can do normal everyday things like going to the gym but you're doing it with a missional mindset and i think that's huge i think people listening to this need to hear that because we always want to do our separate church stuff, have a separate church concert, have a separate church sports program or gym or whatever it is where it's you're always doing counter same cultural stuff, just church church stuff. Right. And it looks uh, it looks great when we can draw a lot of people, but it doesn't necessarily draw those non-Christian people or it's it's just a a holy huddle or a bunch of church people getting together. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are going into the trenches and saying, hey, we want to go where um, people who don't know Jesus are, get in their lives, and that gives us a platform to then speak the gospel to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess when we say church, kind of our mission statement is, you know, church isn't a building, it's not an organization. It's a group of people that are loving Jesus each other in the world. And that's so important because that's what I love. I don't, like, love church buildings or I don't, you know, love church services. Sometimes I really love a church service, yeah. and sometimes our church services really miss, and yeah. it wasn't a very good Sunday for whatever reason. But that's not, like, what I'm in love with, and that's not what I'm, like, so passionate about getting my neighbors involved in. I love when there's a group of people that are together loving Jesus and when they genuinely are like in that purpose and they have that, you know, and when they're praying for each other and when they really love each other and they're caring for each other and when they're like making a difference in the world, that's what I love. You know, and I feel like whenever you run across that, that's what's so compelling. So that could be you know, if you run across five people that are hanging out in a coffee shop and, you, you know, they're praying for each other and really loving each other and then they're talking about, you know, what they're going to do later on to go make a difference in the world, like that's that's what I love, and that's really compelling, you know, where you meet you know a group of people that live on the same street together, and they meet in you know, each other's houses every once in a while, and they really are you know trying to get better at loving Jesus, and they really are caring for each other's kids and watching each other and babysitting for each other, and then they're genuinely making their neighbors' lives better. Like that's what I love, and that's what I feel like I have no problem inviting any of my friends to, because like I don't know if you really love someone, how do you not want your friends to have that? Yeah. How do you not want your friends to have better friendships? How do you not want your friends to, you know, be able to make a bigger impact in the world? I feel like everybody wants that, you know? How do you feel that you don't want them to want to have a relationship with Jesus and someone that they can talk to when you can't talk to anyone else or, you know, that gives you meaning when, you know, like, yeah. how do you not want them to have that? And that's, at least for me, that's so much easier to talk to someone about, about why I love and what's making a difference in my life than trying to explain to them why, I love coming and singing with a group of people each week because I do love that sometimes, but it is weird too. And that's, <laughs> that, that's a, that's a much, I don't know. I feel like a harder thing and that I feel like people, I don't know, singing makes way more sense when you understand Jesus, Yeah, you know, and yeah. being a part of a community group makes way much more sense when you already are looking for deeper friendships. And I feel like those things are, you need to sell people on the big whys and then you can introduce them to these cool tools that we have to help them do it. But yeah, cause you, I think it seems like you're the opposite of like, Hey, just come to church and then you'll, you'll figure all this stuff out. You're almost 
uh, saying, hey, let's let's get you to meet Jesus, and then you can come to church and do all this churchy stuff. But until you meet Jesus, there's no point in doing all this stuff. Sure. I mean, it's kind of both and, too. I think, yeah. you know, everyone has a different entry point. But, yeah, I think for a lot of people, yeah, their faith journey might have a long road before they ever darken the door of a church. Uh, and other people, and I think we all know this if you've hung out in church, a lot of people have hung out in church for a long, long time, and they still really haven't ever met Jesus. And their mm. faith journey, you know, might be, I was in church for 20 years, and then I finally met Jesus. And I think it can, I don't know, God's crazy how, how he works, you know, and how he works in different people's stories. It is hard because everybody is unique. So you might do one method or, you know, quote unquote evangelism technique on one person, then the next person it fails or, you know, one person uh, is just stubborn and, and taking so long and they, they just don't want to give in or give up their old ways. And the other people is just like, hey, I'm ready, you know. Hey, do you want to baptize me this week? And you're like, what? We're, we're, I'm not there yet. You know, they're ready to go and ser- start serving and getting plugged in. And right. I think that's such an interesting, uh, interesting concept. I want to talk about bridges. So we talked this morning at breakfast, and and I was I was wanting to talk about you talk about this on the podcast, but um, you guys just brought in a speaker, and mm-hmm. uh, he was talking about building bridges, and and I want to talk about specifically that idea of building a, a strong enough bridge where it can bear the weight of of what um, uh, to bring somebody across to that to becoming a Christian. Can you kind of explain that concept and uh, and what he was discussing and how it relates to you guys? Sure. And so uh, writer, speaker, Reg McNeil, and he was talking about that it's so important to build bridges to um, our communities, to our non-Christian friends, and they said it's really important to figure out what the load capacity of that bridge is. Because uh, what we often do is we build a bridge, and it's a pretty lightweight bridge at first, and then we try to push this huge load of truth or knowledge across that bridge, and it just can't hold it, so it ends up just falling. And we need to spend a lot of time building up just a bigger and bigger, stronger bridge so that you can eventually push that truth uh, across us. Uh, and so how that's come for us, I don't know if this will be helpful or not, but uh, we've had some kind of, I guess, tension in our church of, like, when exactly do you, like, talk to people about the things in their life? Uh, and so uh, we do, you know, set up each week in our church, set up and tear down, and, and uh, lots of serving opportunities like normal, and we're a non-Christian culture, and so we bring in a lot of people that, I mean, any given Sunday uh, in, in our setting, there's at least 50% of the people that are there on a Sunday morning that would not yet call themselves Christians, or maybe you're not even like are interested in the whole thing, but they're just there and they're exploring, they're checking thing out. And our vantage point is that we're totally fine with people serving uh, kind of off the bat. If you're there and you're willing to serve, we have roles for you to serve. Um, but that's been tough for other people that are kind of more seasoned Christians of, you know, hey, what's the guy doing who's obviously hung over from the night before doing here set up? You know, what's the, you know, the couple who's, you know, very clearly living with each other, you know, uh, but they're serving coffee, you know, and when are you going to talk to them? When are you going to get them told about what, you know, the stuff going on in their mm-hmm. life? And we feel like that there is a time to talk to people, um, just like there's a time for people to talk to me about the things in my life, but that's you got to make sure that that bridge can hold and that that's a if you're gonna really sit down and talk to someone about some serious stuff like that you need to make sure that that bridge is big enough to be able to do that and you need to make sure that you know you kind of have that relationship equity built and i think that's even more true if it's a neighbor that hasn't been to church yet you know and so to 
and the first couple times that we're hanging out on my porch, hanging out, you know, for me to like dump the entire gospel or, you know, try to, you know, explain all these kind of mysterious things about the Bible to them in one setting, that's going to be really hard for them to take. Uh, where if we can, I think it needs to be a, a pretty, pretty slow process. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a, a really wise advice about, you know, how much can this person handle and then having the patience to say, hey, let's talk about this next week or let's continue the conversation. Sure. If you break the bridge and they never talk to you again, you get nowhere. Sure. And and to make sure like we're starting with the important stuff too. And so, I mean, if, if someone's on our setup team and they obviously have a drinking problem, that's an issue. But if they don't know Jesus yet, that's the biggest issue. And so I want to, you know, if it's like obviously affecting their life, at some point I might need to talk to them about their drinking issue. But overall, I want them to accept Jesus first. And then once they decide that they're going to make Jesus Lord of their life, then we can start talking to them about turning all of those little things over to their life, over to the Lordship of Jesus. You know, same thing. If there's a, a couple that's sleeping with each other and they're not married yet, like if they don't know Jesus, I, I really don't have like a point to talk to them about because yeah. why would they? I need to get them to follow Jesus and know why that is, you know, going to be such a compelling and wonderful thing in their life. And then they can start turning over, you know, all of those things, including their sexuality and their money and their time and what they watch on TV and, you know, what they do with their friends, you know, turning all of those things over to the Lordship of Jesus, which I'm still, you know, trying to do, you know, and I have my things that I'm still trying to cling on to for myself. And And people want behavior modification in, in light of the gospel where so many I've, I've noticed just even myself, it's so easy to gravitate towards changing people's behavior. Right. And it's almost easier to say, hey, stop drinking or stop doing this, stop living together than to introduce them to Jesus. And I think that's that spiritual warfare. And we were talking about the Holy Spirit's role in all of this. And, you know, maybe growing up an independent Christian church, our Trinity's Father, Son, Holy Bible, that type <laughs> of deal, Mark Driscoll quote. But, uh, you know, where we really can leave out God's Spirit indwelling us and empowering us for uh, ministry. How have you noticed uh, just focusing on the Holy Spirit and you and utilizing uh, and, and really acknowledging him working in your ministry? How has that transformed your ministry? Uh, well, I'm not very good at it. Uh, I mean, I still, I, I'm just a control freak. And so I feel like it's so easy for me to want everything to be in my hands mm. and to feel like, you know, I'm responsible. And if I'm going to I got to change the city and I got to do this thing. We all got to work hard and I got to tell all these people what's going on. And, and so, I mean, what I keep being reminded of over and over again, and it's maybe eventually sinking through my thick skull of just that the Holy Spirit's working without me. And that, you know, like um, my brother always says, you know, if Jesus cares way more than I do. And so Jesus is working in people's lives way before I ever do. Jesus is speaking to people way before we ever, you know, the Holy Spirit's working on, on things. Uh, and I just need to be attentive to that and listen to that. And so before, you know, if, if I get a chance to kind of point out like, hey, I think the reason you might be feeling that way is because, you know, maybe there's something kind of spiritual going on in your life, you know, or maybe, you know, maybe the reason why that happened in your life 10 years ago, maybe there's a reason for that. And people can kind of like name that kind of stuff on their own. That's important. But um, I'm, I'm trying to get good at it. It's hard. Yeah, it it is hard, and and it can almost seem weird in our in, in our world today because we're such non 
non-spiritual people like if you said like hey there's something demonic going on uh, i was going to talk about that um to somebody and they, they were almost like you really believe in that that's kind of weird like it's just we're so what we see is what we get and when we start talking about like holy spirit or or you know spiritual things it just it's such a different realm I don't know. I the the word unscientific comes to mind, but just kind of like something I can't see. It's not tangible. It's difficult for us to see. I was even sure. I was driving in the car yesterday, just like, man, I really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I preached a sermon on God Almighty yesterday, and I'm driving in the car. We were going to the drive-ins last night, going to have some family time, and I'm just looking out, and I'm like how crazy would it have been to be around Jesus when he, he dies on the cross and, 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 and the curtain tears, there's an earthquake and then dead people are walking among the city. Like it's just such, it's such an amazing story, but it's so different than I experience every day. But for me, focusing on the Holy Spirit really gives God a foothold in that of like, Hey, I believe God can heal people. God can move in their hearts. God can transform a city and uh, we got to let him do his work. Sure. Sometimes it's also crazy because when we pray for for the spirit to work and God actually does get us give us an opportunity to do that, we're almost surprised like, wow, I can't believe this happened or I can't believe this actually came true or I can't believe I, I'm able to, you know, for you, st- you know, start a church and have have people be uh, coming to the church and, and giving and transforming their lives. I just think it's so amazing because I'm almost like shocked when God works or God does right. what I, I asked for. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, on the <laughs> on the spirit stuff, I I find that if I bring up, yeah, if I brought up, have you ever experienced a demon in your life, or you know, hey, where have you seen the Holy Spirit move in your life? Like that'd be a really weird question, to people. But if I can find a way to phrase it in a kind of normal language, most people do have a story, even if they're not, you know, they've never been to church, never used that language. Most people have some things in their life where they just felt like there was something going on that they couldn't really understand. Hmm. And is and if you in the course of a conversation, if you can get them to like bring that up and talk about it, like that's like a powerful thing for people. And most people haven't if I find most people have a story like that. And most people haven't shared it with many people because it's weird and they don't, you know, like to talk to that with people. But I was talking to one of my neighbors the other day when we went back when he used to drink a whole bunch. He had like the story of he's like walking across the street and he's like confident that like something pulled him out of a street. And then he looked around and he couldn't like find anybody. And then it was just like the whatever pulled him out of that street and like walked him out of the car was gone. And he's like, I don't think I've ever told anybody that story before. But it's like, I don't know what that was, but I've always kind of felt like that there was something like supernatural, like, you know, God, something going on there, you know, and he's not someone who would like say he even like believes in God, but like he knows something happened in that moment. And I feel like that's like, that's like a, a cool, I don't know, thing that him and I can walk through and like, you know, yeah, it's like a cool foothold into his life now. It's cool that he's sharing that stuff with you too, because it seems like you're a really great listener and you want to listen to people and actually understand their life rather than just preach at them and tell them what to do, how to change their life. It seems like you really start with listening to people. And how important is that, you know, for for your strategy or your method of uh, of reaching people? Super important, and it's something I've I've learned. And so my my brother-in-law works for a group called Alpha, and that's their whole thing is just listening. And so I've that's the biggest thing I've tried to learn of trying to have the Holy Spirit move is this the if I can talk half as much as I would normally talk in a conversation and just try to listen a lot more, then I find that good things happen. 
That's awesome. We have a lot of um, we have a lot of pastors listening to this show, but also just uh, church people that are interested in missions, church planning, evangelism. They want to they want to go to the next level. They view themselves as you know somebody that wants to be a minister in their job, or they take short term mission trips. Um, what would you speak to those people about? being involved in a core team of a church plant. So you you had to gather other people in your living room. I'm assuming some of those people, uh, were they all converts? For, converts. Were they all people that, you know, you witnessed to and, and saw led to the Lord? Or did you create a core team of people from other churches and la- launch your church that way? Um, our initial, so when we launched the church officially two and a half years ago, there was about 30 of us. Okay. And so... There was a handful of those that were people that we had built relationships with that had kind of yeah come to faith through um, Ashley and I's kind of direct uh, relationships, and then there was others that were just other Christians that were living in our neighborhood that we had met through a range of different contexts. Um, yeah, but I think I mean being a part of a group of people that are doing it together is so so important, um, and I think that from my I've only pointed to one church. Hopefully, this is the only point church would ever plant, but I just think our way of doing it seemed to work really well of just that we were in the neighborhood for a long time, and so we were in the neighborhood for, you know, four or so years before we were thinking about planting a church, and we were just building relationships, and it Mm -hmm. wasn't even like, okay, we're here and building relationships so that we can plant a church someday. We just moved there because we liked the house and we liked the neighborhood, and then it all just kind of, it was a slower evolution process, and I think that that's a much more effective thing. So I find the the parachute approach can definitely work, and I know some mm-hmm. friends that are having some success with that. But it just feels like it builds, I don't unnecessary obstacles that I'm not sure why you would put yourself through to move into an area and within eight months you got to like buy a house and you got to get you know kind of set up yourself and you got to make friends and you got to build a core group and you got to launch a church all in eight months. That seems like a tough process, and if the goal is to really listen and try to find out what your community needs and what's really going on with your neighbors and what's going, you know, what what kind of a church your community actually needs, it feels like that has to be more of a slow burn process. Yeah, I, I agree, and and uh, I think everybody does does it differently depending on probably the personality of the church planner as sure. well. And uh, I would encourage anybody if they're if they're volunt uh, if they're uh, a volunteer at a church and they're feeling God stirring their heart towards uh, helping or supporting a church plant, that'd be a great place to go because it would really grow you in your faith. I know for you, John, you have to really, you know, rely on volunteers. You're, you're here with me in Iowa and, and, and the church is still running back home uh, two and a half years later and you are uh, able to delegate a lot of that to volunteers. I'm sure, I'm sure you don't have a huge staff yet. So uh, volunteers are so important, whether you're setting up at the Elks Lodge um, we were talking about even having to, you know, you're having to buy cleaning supplies and do all these different things, sound systems and all the children's ministry, all those things in the church. Church planners are going to need people that are, are solid in their faith that can help them in that ministry. And I'm sure for you, it'd be a blessing to have people come alongside of you to do that and achieve that mission for the church. But 
I, I just love hearing your stories. I love how you're reaching Albany, this, this area. I want to, I want to uh, end with some rapid fire questions. My, my uh, questions are rapid fire. You can answer however you want, but <laughs> hopefully uh, these won't be too hard, but who, who is a mentor that you've had, whether it, they might be a living or dead. It might be somebody you read or listen to podcasts or somebody that was actually physically in your life, but who's somebody that's been a mentor to you or you've looked up to and really learned a lot from? Um, I mean, it, before we wanted the church I worked at um, in Gilderland, um, the senior pastor there is still named Brian Rutherford, and he's still one of my one of my best friends. And yeah, I mean, he's still such a mentor to me, and he's someone where I mean, so much of these ideas that we have, I feel like, come through conversation, and a lot of it's a lot of what we're doing through Christchurch Albany, and now a lot of what they're doing. Um, but Christchurch Gilderland has come from just. I don't know, his wisdom and conversations and back and forths and, oh, that'll never work. Oh, maybe let's give it a try. And That's awesome. Uh, it's been good. Yeah. Is there one thing in particular that he's taught you that really just has stuck out, like something you look to him and just say, wow, I want to be like that or do that? Uh, he's great at the, at the kind of slow burn long approach. And so he, uh, I'm much more quick acting. And so uh, when we especially were launching the church, he made us put on our brakes way more than what I would have wanted. And so mm-hmm. there was even some tension in our relationship sometimes. So I was like, well, let's, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just plan it. You know, we don't need to like figure anything else out. And he's like, Oh, let's, let's just wait a little bit longer. Let's figure this out. And I think that's been really good. And I think it, it built kind of a patience in me mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And that's been really good. That's a great answer. Well, okay. Uh, next question. What book have you gifted most? Not the Bible. We can't say that the Bible's a great book to gift, but is there is there a certain book that you recommended or have gifted to people? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, I give lots of books. What have I... Um, or most recently, maybe? Yeah, we just had Reggie McNeil come, and his new book, Kingdom Come, we love. And I feel like that does a good job of explaining a lot of the things that uh, we're doing. And so that's been really, really good. Um, I I love um. This really doesn't have a lot to do with even what we're we're doing. It's so, but West Stafford wrote a book called Too Small to Ignore, and I I love that book. And we give that book away to so many of our friends that have kids. And so I just feel looking for like a good like perspective on like how to like raise kids in like in a different kind of a way. And it's not even like a parenting book, but it's just really helped shape like how Ash and I are raising our kids a lot. And so we really we really love that book a lot. That's great. I'll have to check that. I haven't heard of that one. So. Yeah, that's right. he's the former um director for Compassion International and okay. he grew up as this missionary kid in Africa and it's just you know all about how he had so much responsibility as a kid uh when when he growing up at this village in Africa and like his job when he was like 6 years old was to like protect the village from the baboons that were coming in there and stuff <laughs> and just how he had so much worth as a kid because his whole village gave him a responsibility that they were dependent on and mm-hmm. like we've really tried to carry that through with our parenting and through our church too is to let kids know that like you matter right now and you have like real responsibility and you have real responsibility in this family and real responsibility. And so we try to, with a lot of our events at church, we try to make opportunities where kids can serve alongside and they have, you know, where they're not just like helping, but it's like, man, these eight, nine year olds, they can make the popcorn for the movie night. And like, this is on you guys. And if, you know, if you guys don't do this, no one's going to have popcorn, you know, but we believe in you, you can do it. And uh, I think that kind of stuff is, been big that's a that's a great perspective though because i I think so much ministries around entertaining kids 
rather than teaching them to be a part of the body of Christ. And I know we could improve that here. And wow, I'm going to check that book out. That book will be in the show notes as well as all these references uh, that John's talking about. So let's let's move to the next question since the rapid fire. Okay, so you're 34, 30, 36. 36. So you're Old getting man. up there. So yeah, uh, no, <laughs> it's, it's fun to ask this question to to retired ministers, but even yourself, like your 20 year old self, your 22 year old self, uh, right out of Bible college, uh, what advice would you give yourself? First of all, where were you? Put yourself in that context, and what would you give yourself any advice or change anything? Tell yourself to do something. Yeah, I mean, when I was in my 20s, um, I, I was going to college still. I was working at a weekend ministry um, at a church in Illinois, and then I recently moved to, then when I graduated, I moved to the church in Gildan doing youth ministry stuff. And I was convinced at that point that what was going to help bring people to Jesus was really big events that were really cool. And if you could just make a really cool event that was big enough and publicized big enough, then everybody would come to it and somehow they would find out the church was cool. We never knew that church was cool. And now because this event that we went to has skateboarders and has cool music and cool thing, I never knew it. Jesus is cool. And now we're all going to follow Jesus. And I tried it really big a couple different times. Uh, the first one we did was when I was a weekend minister at Chillicothe. We did this big summer event. We had a three-on-three basketball tournament, and we had this band that was going to play and a coffee shop. And uh, I went around my 20-year-old self, and we set up tables in area high schools and let people know about this big event that we're going to do and thought it was going to be so, so cool, and just nobody came. I and mean, it was like you know, 15 mm. people came to this event. And then when I moved to Gildeland, uh, we did the same thing. We tried this big like summer kickoff event, and it just it never really worked well. And then uh, when you actually our third year of the event in Gildeland, uh, we tried to bring in like a big band. We tried to bring in Switchfoot. We thought like, man, if we could just get like a cool Christian band, yeah. that will make people come. And still nobody cared. And then we ended up transitioning um, that summer event that I used to do. Um, and I, I ran it for almost 12 years, and we switched it from being like this cool event that was going to let everybody know how cool Christians was. Uh, we made it a community event. We started having community bands that weren't Christian bands be the main bands for it, and we changed the whole thing to be a benefit for AIDS orphans in Africa, and the event blew up. Wow. Uh, and I think that's been my trajectory throughout most of my ministry so far is when I try to do things that at the end of the day, are really self-serving. And it's all about getting people in to hear me talk or get people in to experience how cool we are. It seems like it falls flat. And when instead the energy is focused on how can we really make our community better or make our world better or really make other people be the stars instead of us be the stars, it seems like it always really goes well. And I don't know if I would have learn that lesson without lots and lots of failures and lots of time standing in the middle of events with nobody coming. But I'm glad I, I learned that lesson along the way. Yeah. And I think though that was very popular, you know, uh, for youth ministry at that time when you, you were doing that and, you know, uh, Hey, blend up a happy meal and, you know, have people <laughs> drink that type of stuff or, you know, skate church type of ministries. And I, I do think, you know, there, some people had success in that we copy their methods. And then if it doesn't work, you get extremely discouraged. Right. You just got to get a new method. And it sounds like you're really hitting a, a great, uh, you know, great rhythm for ministry now. So that's awesome advice. I need to hear that too. All right, uh, favorite Bible character? That's not Jesus. Jesus is our favorite Bible character. <laughs> but uh, is there somebody that just speaks to you in the Bible 
that you would you really gravitate towards? Yeah, I like, and I can. I don't know Jonah popped in my mind for some reason. I'm not sure if that's my favorite one, but maybe I can just like relate to Jonah a lot because I can, I don't know, I just go along with what God wants sometimes. Sometimes I'm so reluctant, and so like I find myself in his <laughs> in his uh, scenario a lot. Um, I like I like Joseph a lot though. Joseph is, I, I just he has such ups and downs in his life, and you just never know like. It, I tend to focus on like the kind of the last part of Joseph's life when things are going really well and he's like this king, things are going yeah. really well. But I just can't imagine like how he felt when he was like in the dungeon for what was it, like eight years or something like that. Or, you know, when he's in the pit after his brothers threw him in. Like so many times in life where it would have been so easy for him just to like throw in the towel and give up. Um, but like those times were like were so important for what God was like bringing him to. But he had no idea. He just thought yeah. that here's just another year in this dank st- cellar. And obviously God's forgot about me. And I don't know when things are going badly. I try to remember that. Of like I wonder what God is using this really difficult time to set me up for. Great answer. Yeah, he has such high highs and lows, man. He's. <laughs> I love the story of Joe. Jonah's great too. Uh, I don't know. You know, the end of the book kind of ends kind of sad, where you know he's not happy about all these pagans repenting. I, I know that you don't relate with that, but right. uh, yeah, Jonah's a great, uh, great story as well. Okay, let's talk about your prayer life. Uh, what's your prayer life look like? I, I know godly men, people that have interviewed on this podcast, seems like just. Um, God is constantly working. They want to grow their prayer life. But do you have a certain time or a certain way that you try to really spend that time with the Lord? I love to um, walk when I pray. So I'm just active person in general. I like to like have, pacer I, or like around the block or uh, anything. Okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, as we're sitting in a random classroom right now, I mean, I'm shaking my leg the whole time. Yeah. And doing so. and I just yeah. have to kind of be like moving a little bit. And so it's much easier for me if I'm going to have a conversation with anybody to say, Hey, let's get up and let's go for a walk. Let's, you know, let's kind of be doing something. And so, uh, yeah, my best prayers happen when I'm out walking my dog or, you know, just kind of walking around my neighborhood, things like that. But then it really helps me be able to pray for things too, because we've just gotten to know a lot of our neighbors and a lot of our city. And so, especially with ministry stuff, I mean, as I'm praying, it's easy for me to pray for my neighbors when I'm walking past their house and when I'm seeing things kind of, uh, you know, if I got kind of like drops things in front of me, like physically. Uh, when I'm walking that I can then pray for. That's awesome. And that's encouraging too, because I think we have to, we think so much like fold your hands, bow your head, sit in a room, mm-hmm. or I need to go to my study and spend time with the yeah. Lord. And then you end up sleeping on the floor or something. You know, no, like figure out what's worked for you. Uh, pray wise and, uh, you know, pacing, walking. I'm the same way. I uh, do the same when I'm on the phone though. It's like mm-hmm. crazy out in our church foyer. I'm just like pacing back and forth and people are always like, Man, you're doing some laps. I must. I need to get a Fitbit and watch walk some miles. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'll say about prayer. When I, like well before we started the church, I was doing breakfast with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about new church dreams and just kind of you know hoping that something else would happen. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, well, "I don't know. Let's just pray it into existence." And I, that phrase always stuck with me of just like, that's how we're going to build this church is just by 
praying and praying and praying and praying. And so we have a, an amazing woman in our church. Uh, her name's Pat, and she leads our prayer team. And every Wednesday morning, uh, there's a group of us that meet over at her house, and we used to call it prayer and pancakes, and then she got sick of feeding us all pancakes every Sunday, so now it's just uh, <laughs> co- coffee and pancakes. And we all get together and pray for any prayer requests that we have gotten from our connection cards or anything else that anyone else has given us or anything else we just know is going on. And oh, I've awesome. said over and over, I, I'm convinced that if any success that we've had so far and any success that we'll ever have has more to do with Pat spending time on her, on her knees in prayer uh, than any of the work that any of the rest of us have done. Wow, that's powerful. I think a lot of us need to hear that because <laughs> it's so easy to focus on doing rather than letting God do. We talked about that with the Spirit of God working through your ministry, but prayer is the first thing we need to do. And it's, a lot of times it's the last thing we do. Right. It's kind of our last-ditch effort. And Okay, last question um, before we close this interview. I sure appreciate you coming on the show. But, okay, your most amazing, uh, most embarrassing moment <laughs> that, you, that has ever happened to you in ministry. What's your most uh, embarrassing moment that's ever happened in ministry? Man. Um, this is always a hard one for guys because they're like, do I really want to say that or what comes <laughs> to mind? I expect big things from you, John. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I want to. I'll just say I've, especially in my younger days, I've panned them out a little bit over the last little bit, but they'll still come up every once in a while. But I've had way too many accidental sexual innuendos that have come up in sermons or leadership speeches that I have, especially a couple friends that. Have yeah, they've blasted me pretty hard over the coals for this for some of those. <laughs> yeah, you say it, and then you're like, oh, I can't believe I just said that, or that's not what I meant at all. And yeah, people take it totally wrong, and then you just you just call them dirty, right? You're like, hey, what what what? Take yeah. your mind out of the gutter, you know? Yeah, that's not what exactly. I meant. Exactly. Yeah, I. Yeah, I'm real close to sharing my worst one, but I don't, I don't think I will. It, it was, Let's not it, it share that. We'll keep our clean rating. <laughs> and, uh, you never know how people, but uh, yeah, that's hilarious. Hey, man, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been a great guest. I know you added value to the audience and people. Um, if they want to get a hold of you or contact you, uh, social media, how, how would they find that? And share your church website as well. Sure. Uh, so the church website is um, ChristChurchAlbany.org, and there's an S after Christ, so Possessive Christ, um, ChristChurchAlbany.org. Um, and then uh, I don't, I'm not very good on social media, but um, I think I'm like John Hendrick on Twitter, and my Twitter is super lame, so um, I don't know, enjoy following that if you want to, I guess. I, I normally use it to follow IndyCar drivers. So. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm on Facebook as well, just under Jonathan Hendrick. But. Is, your, uh, is your email on the website? Yeah. So if they have a question or want to follow up with you, uh, you can connect with John at their church website, Christ Church Albany. And uh, we just sure appreciate you on the show, and uh, hopefully maybe have you back in the future and have this awesome success story uh, in the future when uh, God's really grown you working on your heart. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, man. Wow, Jonathan, he's a solid guy. Please be in prayer for Christ Church Albany, along with all the church plants in cities working to influence places who are far from God. You can find more about Jonathan and what he's doing at ChristChurchAlbany.org. Also, if you want to find out all about topics mentioned throughout this show, check out RenewingOurCity.com. There you'll find the show notes and episodes and other episodes that you can check out of the Renewing Our City podcast. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, 
at Pastor Matt Shaw or on the show uh, at Renewing Our City. If you have any questions or want to email me, send it to matt at renewingourcity.com. Hey, you never know the amazing things that God's going to do through you until you get out there and start sharing Jesus and serving others in your own neighborhood and around the world. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Renewing Our City podcast. For more info about the show, check out renewingourcity.com and follow the show on Twitter at Renewing Our City and facebook.com slash renewingourcity. If you like the show, please rate and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, hit subscribe so you don't have to miss a single episode in the future. We want to give a special thanks to John Smay Productions for producing the show. Now get out there and share Jesus and serve others in your own neighborhood and around the world.